0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.
1: This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. That's the challenge as a leader is sometimes taking what was so clearly seen to you and making that very visible to other people that either don't wanna see it because they're comfortable in their particular seat, or two, they don't know how to get to that place because they never saw themselves ascending to greater heights. Welcome to the
0: Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vanoy. here as always with my co-host, Josh
2: Hunter. Josh, who do we have with us today? Man, we got somebody really exciting. Um, I've known for about 10 years now, I think, sent a lot of investment in in my life Um, from the stage, across the lunch, dinner, breakfast table, so many meals, I can't even count them all. But we are hanging out with Ed Newton today. He is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in San Antonio, Texas, which is a very diverse congregation with about 27,000 members. Um, And he has been a speaker for many, many years, and I promise that's not an old joke, Ed, so (laughs) you've been in the circuit for a while, but Ed, I'm pumped to have you on today, man. How are you doing?
1: Doing well. Thank you guys for the opportunity.
2: Man, we're just excited to hear from you, and Ed, I remember the first time I met you in 2009, you were the bleach hair kind (laughs) of... Florida surfer get up. And now you're like a very stylish, uh, you know, really, really in touch with the style side of pastors. So I I um, wish
1: I had a friend back in 2009 that would have said, Hey, Ed, when you get 43, these internet pictures are going to destroy your life. (laughs) <laughs> and cause a lot of people to make fun of you through the years, such as the introductory message of this podcast. So thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's all brotherly love. You. How long have you been at
1: a uh, CBC now in San Antonio? Yeah, yeah, we've been here over three and a half years. So mom marker three and a half for us.
2: Okay, cool. And Ed, tell us just a little bit about your family. How long have you been married? How many kids yeah. you
1: have? Stephanie and I have been married 21 years. We got four kids currently 16, 14, 13, and 11. That's an introductory statement and a prayer request all at the same time. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's our, that's our, our tribe right now.
2: Love that man. Ed has partnered with student life camp for, you actually don't even know how long, a long time. Many, many years is what you said. Many, many years. But <laughs> many, many years. Done a, done a lot of preaching, reached a lot of students. So so thankful for you, man. Chandler, you
1: want to no, kick us off with the
2: first question? Yeah. So, Ed, once again, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to hear about
0: your journey. Just starting off with the first question, can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that got you to the point where you are today?
1: Yeah, the first leadership role I was ever given was I was a Fellowship of Christian Athletes president or director on my high school campus as a sophomore in high school. And that really was the catalyst for what I began to believe that God had a store for me, which was a a mission of serving the local church, building up the bride, investing in people along the way. But That was the first one for me personally, went off to uh, Bible college and my senior year of college was a full-time student. I was playing basketball at the school, involved in some leadership roles in our fraternity and then also just in student body government. But then my senior year out of the church relationship department at the Christian college I was working at, uh, received an invitation to be a youth pastor. And so full-time student, part-time youth pastor, but anybody that's listening knows this, there's no such thing as part-time ministry. (laughs) And so for me, I was uh, blessed with the ability to have a youth group that showed up at all my home games. So that was incredible for me personally. Um, So that was my first opportunity. I went to grad school in Memphis to mid-America and start off as an intern at a church there called Faith Baptist. And through God's sovereignty and grace, just thought this was going to be a resume builder for me personally. But then the local pastor, who's a father to me, mm-hmm. his name is Danny Sinkfield, just said, hey, we believe that you're called to be our single adult and recreation pastor. And that was not on the the idea of what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor my whole life. And little did I know that God had a different trajectory for me away from not just student ministry. I was always going to be a part of student ministry, but I just never thought it would be in recreation. I never thought it would be in college ministry. Did that for four years. And in the process of that, God called me into an evangelism ministry and did that for 13 years. And then at the tail end of that 13-year journey, I worked with a great organization called student leadership university overseeing what was called the lift tour. And then that began to cultivate in my heart, a desire to be a part of team, to be a part of something that just wouldn't be kind of a blow in, blow up, blow out moment for me as a communicator, not, not saying that my role wasn't significant, a part of the kingdom advancement, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be a part of something where I had roots and God awakened that desire in my heart. And 2016 became senior pastor here. So I never pastored before as a senior leader, but sitting in the seat, I could tell you what not to do. So I'm excited about sharing what not to do in the podcast.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, <laughs> for those listening, I'm from Memphis originally, and Ed and I lived in the same city for a while, but I was so sad the day that your area code changed from the 901 to, to whatever it is now, It's kind of a, yes. You know, R.I.P. to the Memphis area code. But <laughs> has, has your changed with the NBA now that you moved to San Antonio?
1: Absolutely. Oh. Man, first of all, if I was if I was a Grizzlies fan here, I, I don't know if I'd make it. I, I don't think the <laughs> Lord would bless my ministry um, if I stood up and just said I was a legion. To the Grizz, I, I did, now listen. I, I will say this on air, on record, in public. I cheer for the Grizz, just not above the Spurs. I respect that's that. fair. I respect that. that. Is that fair to say? That's no, fair. It hurts a little,
0: but I respect. You it. get to cheer for a winning team <laughs> now. Hey, hey. I, come on, man! <laughs> I'm just messing. I'm a, I, I'm a New I, York Knicks well, fan. I don't, I don't know.
1: Yeah, the, the go. Fan. I'm, I'm just jealous of Litter anybody runs. winning.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> wow, so many names are popping in my head right now. The Knicks that you just go, that was the last time I think they had a winning record? Yeah. That, that was, was probably in the nineties. Patrick yeah. <laughs>
2: yes. yes. And Ed, you actually played, did you play basketball in college? I can't remember.
1: I did. I did. Yeah. It was like division 14 and nobody cares.
2: But <laughs> so you're still the best on the court Straight in the pickup
1: game. That's the, that's the truth about it. Hey, listen, I, my ministry at camp is hustling kids on the yep. basketball court in Jesus name. I've seen you do it. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Can you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on that changed your leadership in life?
1: I think the biggest look back moment for me was, and this is just going to be a statement and I'm not trying to speak in Twitter. That's not what I'm saying, but, but ministry is more than a title. It's an assignment and that assignment changes. I had this idea that, okay, student pastor forever, i.e. title. But really when I was a senior in high school, Isaiah six, eight was the verse that I surrendered to here. I am Lord send me. And that wasn't with qualifications. That was here. I am Lord send me not here. I am Lord send me if it's a student ministry position. And that was a pivotal moment for me, which is why I was sharing earlier. I was only a student pastor for about nine months Mm. in that capacity. And I thought this is what I was going to do my whole life. So sometimes I think what we do is we put God in in a box that oftentimes, oftentimes has a a bow of, of a title on it. And God's got something so much greater where the road trip is filled with views that are different every day. If we just say yes to the assignment and not really care so much about the title.
0: That's very helpful. Moving on to the next question. What was your biggest mistake? I know you said that you have,
1: you've, Felt like you've walked through a lot of these. So what was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? I think the biggest mistake for me was trying to go too fast too soon. I I wanted to be that individual that brought change. For some of us, it's easy to walk into an environment and become critical. And even at times be cynical. So I I, I don't want to say I walked into environments and was critical. I looked into environments oftentimes and went, what's the secret sauce here? And where did the missional drift take place that brought them to the dance, but somewhere along the line, they've gotten away from what brought them to the dance. And so I think for me, it was, okay, I recognize that, but then the change management plan to get us back to that place that that maybe the organization needed to be, or to take us to a place where we've never been, not taking into consideration that there's a lot of other domino effects that take place where oftentimes I was like, yes, this is where God's telling us to go. And in the journey, getting frustrated with people that go, I don't see it. And I'm like, how could you not see this? Well, that's, that's the challenge as a leader is sometimes taking what was so clearly seen to you and making that very visible to other people that either don't want to see it because they're comfortable in their particular seat. Or two, they don't know how to get to that place because they never saw themselves ascending to greater heights. So being patient with people in the process, patience isn't one, one of those fruits of the spirit for me that I thrive in. And for me, it's just, okay, we, we need to make this change because it's life or death and we're in the kingdom building business and let's go. And oftentimes the shrapnel of my quickness in decision making has cost us.
2: That's a really good way to put it. I uh think of John Maxwell's quote, one of the more popular ones, leaders know the way, go the way. But an important piece of that is they show the way. They hmm. they show vision and they learn yes, how to influence good. their people. As a follow-up question to that, though, and you dabbled in it a little bit, Ed, when you would, I love the terminology used as shrapnel, um, but what was some of the uh what was some of the, the hurt that came with you maybe moving too quickly with your people or the organization? What was some of the blowback that you experienced to you moving a little bit too quickly?
1: Yeah. When you move too quickly like that, you, we use a, a matrix here at CBC in and, and the matrix for, for us is invitation challenge. When you see new land that needs to be taken, oftentimes as a leader, you're you challenge the organization or an individual to new heights yeah. to new levels. But oftentimes the the bridge that takes you there is is relational capital or relational cachet with the people that you're trying to move. So you're trying to show them something with your hands, but if they don't know your heart, they're not going to follow your feet.
2: So showing showing the heart before showing
1: the way with the, the deep ties to it. Yep, yep, absolutely. So for so oftentimes you think to to move further faster, you you develop strategy and strategy wins the day, but this is not original to me. Culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. You can have the greatest strategy in the world, but, it, it, but if the people don't believe that you have your, their best interest in mind, it doesn't matter, the strategy, and the land can be filled with fruit, much like Joshua and Caleb, but if fear gets in the way, right. then you'll never take the land. And that, and that same leadership principle applies to, to be true. So there's got to be a cultivated relationship factor in the hearts of people. So the shrapnel that would take place was a lack of trust. And so when there's a lack of trust, then there's a lot of, let's just call this fill in the gap by the employee on the motive mm-hmm. of why you're trying to take the land. Is it about them? It, it, it is, is this personality driven? What's the alternative, ulterior motive so they fill in the gap when you are more concerned about the finished product than the relationship that leads you to that finished product. So a lot of that were people sitting across the table from me going, Ed, I don't trust you. Wow. I mean, literally, that was said to me. And, and I went, that's hard for me to hear. Um, and my response to that was, I hope over a period of time I can earn your trust. Instead of going, well, that's on you. But instead, it was like, ah, I see. To go slower is to go faster, if that makes sense. When you when you begin to build into the heart of people, relational equity, almost like a bank account, when you challenge the process, they're not put off by the challenge because they trust your heart. That's so good. I know that
0: stepping, you said you stepped into CBC, was it three and a half years ago, is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, so stepping in there, about 27,000 uh, members you've got to build relationships and you've got to build them quick with that large of an organization. um, Can you kind of walk us through what that looked like where you've got to build this trust and this capital. So leading through the, why, how did you go about that with such a large organization?
1: Well, when you break it down, there were 37 departments. We had about 379 employees at the time I got here. And so you really have to go through three phases. You, you, my tendency, as I mentioned earlier, is I want to lean in. Like, I want to lean in quickly. Let's begin. I see it. These are the changes that we probably need to make. So, but oftentimes we fail to do the first two things, which is to listen and to learn. And so I went through 37 departments and I met with all of them. And I just said, hey, tell me about yourself. Tell me what's winning. And I really began to ask these three questions. What do we need to do more of? What do we need to do less of? And what do we need to stop doing? But going back to relational equity, I shouldn't have asked those questions at the beginning. I should have spent more time cultivating relationship with, tell me about your kids. Tell me about your favorite. Does that make sense? I, I jumped in too quick to strategy and scope and sequence versus let, let me just be without trying mm-hmm. to be all about doing. And that, that for me was something I look back and I go, I wish I would have done that differently, but walking through that process of listening and learning and leaning in, that was the first step of that. And then I had to try to find ways because in essence, you can't, listen, you you can't shepherd now, twenty-seven thousand people, or whatever thirty—like, if it's thirty thousand members, you can't shepherd thirty thousand people. No, nobody can ever do that. I don't care how bionic you are, you can't, you can't do that. But you can shepherd a team. But when you got three hundred seventy-nine people, you can't shepherd three hundred seventy-nine people. Mm-hmm. So, I had to figure out a way. Our org chart had to make sense to the goal of what I was trying to accomplish, which was being able to listen to the furthest edge of the organization and the furthest edge of the organization may be at the bottom of the org chart, but the person on the bottom of the org chart can't feel like they're the bottom of the org chart. They have to feel as if they have a voice in the organization. Mm -hmm. And so I had to set up initially kind of these regular meetings with people just to be able to find out who is doing what, why, are we doing this? Just to try to really be a student of the organization. So that's what I try to do initially, all the while trying to cultivate relationship. And uh, a little thing that I've been doing for three and a half years, I write a birthday card to every one of our staff members. That's cool. awesome, that's cool. Part-time, full-time. I write, a, I mean, a personal handwritten birthday card. And while I, I'm writing that I obviously I'm praying through that list. And But I, I've tried to be active and involved we say this phrase a lot here. We win together, lose together. And so for me, I try to show up at things. I can't be at everything, but I try to give worth and value by the ministry of presence, cheering people on and championing other people and celebrating the successes of other people has, has allowed my heart to be conveyed beyond paper. Uh, to people to go, I really care about what you do, and I want to do all I can to leverage every bit of influence that God's given me for your greater good and your greater success. And that and that's been a cultural shaper here for us. And when that gets lived out by the second tier, which is our executive team and the team leads underneath the executive team, then that begins to permeate an entire culture. And uh, but when I first got here, that was man, I was trying to figure out the organization, be a student of it, and That's hard to do when you got 37 departments and by, by going too quick, too fast, I believe that I kind of took some, some steps back in cultivating trust because I was so, so concerned about uh, overall success Mm -hmm. of an organization. Let me make this statement. Sometimes as leaders, we become more concerned about the success of the organization versus the health of the organization. But see, when you're concerned about the health of the organization, success is always going to come. That's good. You can't be successful without health. That's good. I,
2: So it's, uh, I'm so glad
1: you're talking about this because a
2: a lot of times in these podcasts, we use the statement, people don't want to be a means to an end. People want to be the end. Yep. Right. And when you treat people as the end, they'll get the means done. They'll figure it out. And I, I, some of that is an emotional intelligence piece as a leader. Some of that is just a slowing down piece as a leader listening to your people, loving on them. Well, so man, I, really wise words. And before we get to the next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. Every church must be equipped to respond well in the initial stages of
0: learning about instances of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse. That is why the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway, and ERLC have partnered together to create Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This training curriculum of a handbook and 13 videos brings together top experts from various fields to help volunteers and leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling the variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or ministry. You can access this free training at churchcares.com. Once again, that is churchcares.com. Now, back to the podcast. Ed, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to
1: lead? I think there are three books that were foundational to who I was uh, as a leader initially. And two of them are by Andy Stanley. And one was uh, Visioneering, just kind of walking through. And it really does answer the why question of why we do what we do. But Visioneering by Andy Stanley was massive for me. Um, The second book was Choosing to Cheat by Andy Stanley, which was just a brilliant resource in regards to how to operate in balance, rest, work, rhythm. And then an oldie, but a goodie, Jerry Bridges, for anybody out there that's probably over 40 right now that just goes, yeah, man, I remember that resource. Kind of the, it was a two-part deal. It was Pursuit of Holiness and Pursuit of godliness. What was your biggest misconception as a young leader? Oh man, I had a lot of misconceptions, but um, (laughs) one was uh, everybody will love you. That, that's a major misconception. So true. Man, I honestly thought I, I could make everybody love me. Everybody's going to like Ed Newton. And then I realized like, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, people say like, literally had a conversation with a church member last night and she began the statement by this. She goes, I know you get thousands of compliments. And, (laughs) and I go, no, actually I don't. I, I, so what you're about to say, like, please thank you for the compliment because I don't get many. The, the, the ones I do get, the ones that are vocal are the people that complain and the people that, that want to encourage you. Don't say something because of the fact they think you get thousands of compliments. And so uh, I honestly thought life was going to be filled in ministry because you're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it for God. You're trying to shepherd people's hearts. Your ministry is going to be filled with a bunch of compliments and people just loving you, supporting you, encouraging you. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I, I had a misconception that I'm going to be the hometown hero not true.
2: So looking at, or talking to young leaders, excuse me, I'm, I'm a young leader. I'm getting a lot of, uh, a lot of critiques. We'll just call it that a lot of critiques. Some of them are hard. Some of them are, you know, shallow. Uh, and then I get some encouragement, but how do I filter between the helpful critiques, the things that I should really grab onto and listen to and learn from. And the ones that are just, I don't know, just maybe hurtful or just opinions, the ones that are unhelpful.
1: Yeah. The, 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 the question I've always asked is how how do I receive a compliment or even a point of criticism in my head, but not let that so destroy my heart. And Mm. for me, it's the filter of obviously, is it constructive? Is it, is it, or is it deconstructive? And as you process that with compliments, this is an old Southern expression, but you, you chew the gum, you don't swallow it. When it's a criticism, <laughs> you, yeah, I know that that was, that so dated me, I know, but uh, it's good. <laughs> chew the compliment, you don't swallow it. But when it comes to the criticism, it's, and here's another Southern expression. You eat the meat, you spit out the bones and we call it eating catfish around here. You know, we cat catfish has got such a negative terminology because of obviously what that whole practical joking aspect of catfishing. But what we call catfish principle for us is you eat the meat, you spit out the bones. And in every form of, of criticism is something that you can glean from, learn from it Mm, for sure. But, Mm. but be careful of the bones. The bones will choke you out if you're not careful.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Tim Keller said when, you know, when dealing with ego and criticism things and things, don't think less of yourself, just think of yourself less. Yeah,
1: that's good. Like
2: I'm not, I'm not this horrible human being. And like you get into the depressed situation, but you don't want to think about yourself all the time. It's a a hard thing to balance for a young leader. Somebody asked
1: me, I just had a breakfast meeting with one of our church members this morning. And he asked me a question. He said, how can I pray for you? I said, well, in leadership, pray that my skin will be as thick as a rhino's hide. I said, but my heart will be tender as a rabbit. Just Mm -hmm. my skin's got to be thick that I, I don't take compliments too seriously. And I don't take criticism too seriously but I, but it filters through a process of more of my calling than anything else. I love what Nick Saban, and I'm not a big Alabama fan, but I love what he said in leadership. (laughs) He said, if, if we're better today than we were yesterday, we're winning. And and that's, that's, that's That's a, that's a great way to look at it. So if we're better today than we were yesterday, then we're winning. So great question.
2: A book plug. A book plug here for you, for y'all listening, Atomic Habits, written by James Clear. Yes. One of the principles is, man, how can I just get 1% better every yep. day? Just 1%. Yep. If you focus on the 1% every day, then by the end of the year, you guys are looking pretty good.
0: Yep. <laughs> should be said. <laughs> That's good. It's <laughs> a lot of percentages. Yep. Now that you're older and hopefully more mature, Ow. you're using uh, some old school Southern uh, <laughs> sayings. <Yeah>. Looking back, <laughs> what are some of the qualities you wish you had as a younger leader?
1: Patience for the process. Uh, I th- I wish I had more vision and direction that was followed by scope and sequence. And I think for me, surrounding yourself with people, it's not so much what you're called to, it's who you're called to do this with and understanding their, and I know we, we hear this, but I don't think we fully understand it. No one's called to be a Lone Ranger in this one. Okay. And there's that idea. And I still believe this. I believe I could change the world. I really do. I believe I could change the world. But just how I define the world is different. My world may not be your world. So if I change the, the circle of my influence, then I'm changing the world. And if you change your world, then collectively we could change the whole world. But doing that alone or having that idea that I could change the world by myself is completely inaccurate and lonely and depressing and discouraging, but everybody needs an Aaron and a her in the journey. And I think for me, I would have, if I could just talk to younger Ed, I would have just said, Hey man, invite some people in the journey in the process, not only to lift your arms when you feel so weak and feeble, but also people that will just watch your blind spots that, that will just be able to look at you. Here's a thought. We have to ask the question, what is it like to sit across the table from you? Like as a as a parent, I'm I'm just parenting four teenagers right now. And one of the statements I made to my daughter the other day, I was like, do you know what it's like to have to be on the other side of this table having this conversation with you right now? Mm, great question. I mean, like just being on the other side of this table right now, I just wish you could see what I'm seeing, your facial expressions, your tone. Man, I wish somebody would have said that to me early on in leadership of like, you know what it's like to be on the other side of the table of Ed Newton, feeling the blank. And if somebody will tell you that sooner than later, it sure will, I believe, potentially save you from a lot of scars because it's not just in regards to your temperament, it's your tone, it's your tenderness and, and how you shepherd people's hearts. And man, I wish somebody would have told me that at a younger state of my life be mindful of what it's like to be on the other side of you.
0: And that takes vulnerability. I mean, to be able to oh, say, yes. you know, if it, if it was the three of us and I was coming to you all and I say, Hey, look, I know I have blind spots. Yeah. I need you to call those out. Well, the first time yep. you call it out, I'm going to probably be a little upset. Yeah. <laughs> be like I know totally. I said that in the past, but let's, let's not actually we might, do we that. take
2: this back off the table. <laughs> you <Yeah.
0: laughs> we, we need to be mindful, especially as Christian leaders is we are, made for community. And of course that is as the body of Christ, but especially in leadership, like we need a community around us to call out, uh, you know, sin in our lives, but also as leaders where those blind spots are. So we were, we were designed for community and we need others. So thank yes, you, sir. Thank no, you for good. Well, now we're going to move to the quick hitters here. These are short one minute answers. We're going to start off with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office and all
1: that good stuff? Wake up a little bit before five, go to the gym, uh, work out for an hour, come back, read my Bible, get my kids off to school. I take them to school. Uh, school for them starts at eight o'clock. We get to school about 745 and the church is about a mile from the school. So that means I'm in the office by eight. So I, I go to bed early, wake up early. I say I go to bed early. This, this may not be early for some people, but I go to bed by 10. I wish I can go to bed at nine but my kids are up. <laughs> my kids are up. They're not going to bed till nine, nine thirty. And uh I'm I'm trying to make sure they got their lunches packed and my wife is doing that as well and doing all the good night stuff. And um, so yeah, I, I wish it could be early, but right now it's ten o'clock. So that's kind of a daily routine. That's
2: great. A lot of different personality tests hanging out there. Which one is your favorite?
1: <laughs> when I read this question, I went, Oh man. <laughs> uh I, gosh, I, I'm going to go on record and I know there's going to be some people that just completely just go, I cannot believe he just said that. I'm just personally, personality tests are like going to the dentist for me. Like I am just, <laughs> I am great. not a fan of personality tests. Not not because they're not effective. I, I really believe getting to know yourself and getting to know the people that you work with is very, very vital. But one of the things that's so difficult about a personality test, I don't think there is a personality test out there that is all encompassing that goes, I think I completely nailed you on this one. I'm sure. So, and I also think that based upon the assignment that God puts you into, I believe that God also shifts and shapes your personality to fit the assignment that God's called you to. So, and I've seen that personally in my own life. I'm intrigued by the Enneagram, uh, I haven't done the Enneagram, but my, my, fun factor is I love to ask people that are so just nerded out by the Enneagram right now to to go ahead and just diagnose me. And, uh, which has been fun, you know, just to kind of go, huh, you thought you knew me. So,
2: so, so, um, So, so for the people guessing, uh, let me guess, Ed, and then you can say, tell me if I'm close to what other people have said, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. I would guess, I'm going to, I'm going to go the lazy route and say it's between these two. I would say like three wing four or seven wing eight.
1: Yeah. You're all, yeah. You're in all of that. Yep. That's exactly, you nailed it. That's kind of where I've been living. Yeah,
2: (laughs)
0: Whatever those things are, Josh, that's, that's where I'm like, you just said four numbers and I'm just going to say, sounds
2: good.
1: (laughs) No, that's it's, it's been in those categories. Uh, however, oftentimes I, I, I find myself more growing into that one which is, yeah. you know, the, 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 person that everybody despises. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to <laughs> you know, no. No, Nobody goes, let me hang out with a one. Like I, <laughs> that's the guy I want to hang out with. They're
2: just going to, so, let me hang out with this person that's going to run my life perfectly for me. Yeah. You're doing that wrong here. Let me, let me yeah, no.
1: it. <laughs> so it goes back to that sitting on the other side of the desk for yeah. me. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to be that guy, but I find myself internally being that guy a lot. I love it. So, I love yeah, it. the personality test, all that stuff is fantastic. I, uh, I just, hate I think it. <laughs> I, br- I, br- I, yeah, I break all the personality tests. I really do. I feel like I fail them every time.
2: Uh, that's great, great I, answer. I think it's a
0: helpful point to yeah. say these are suggestions for you to explore how God wired you, but this has not who you this are encompassing. You. Yeah. So it's, that's, yeah. that's well,
1: helpful. well, what happens a lot of times when people go, well, I'm an effective, I'm a powerful, I'm a creative, I'm a loving, and I'm just using those term those terms mm-hmm. from, from Enneagram stuff. Um, if you're not careful, you could actually pigeonhole yourself into that. Or let me take this to the furthest extreme. I've been around people that were powerful, that were just very difficult mm-hmm. or rude or, um, For a stronger word, we're just jerks, and yeah. then they'll go. Well, what'd you expect? I'm a powerful. I was like, "Yeah, well, hey, what trumps that is called the fruit of the spirit." Yeah, so that's so good. Uh, that, yeah. So a lot of times, personality profiles will cause somebody to use it as a badge or a weapon. Yeah, and and that's my and I love what you guys said. It's more of a suggestion than a rite of passage.
2: Yep. It's so good. It's a, I'm powerful because I'm a, you know, type, type eight or whatever. I'm dominant. Yep. Because I'm a type eight. No, that's, that's just sin. And it's called, <laughs> yes. called man's depravity. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's a cluster three fourteen comes to mind. And above all these put on love, which binds yep. everything together in perfect harmony. Just a, a, a good verse to think about throughout all the different personality tests. Hey, you can be whatever you want, but if you don't have love, you're just a clanging symbol, man. People totally. even hear you.
1: That's a good word, Josh. Good
0: word. we could break that down a little bit more, but let's move on to the next one, which is what is an unusual
1: habit that helps you in your leadership? I cannot wait to hear the answer on this one, Oh, man. When I read that question, I was like, outside of drink three energy drinks a day, you know, I don't drink three, but two could be a part of the the rhythm for me. The unusual habit that helps you in your leadership. um. (sighs) From a practical standpoint, honestly, for me, exercising, I know this is not unusual, but I am a avid runner. It, for me personally, in leadership, if we're not careful, we'll end up in a chemical imbalance because of the roller coaster of emotions. And so for me, the way I process is I, I have to, I, I run a lot, to process. My thinking, my clarity is while exercising. For some, that, that's not how they're wired. For me, tre- tremendous clarity, sanity, thinking, processing, leadership, models, all that kind of stuff start running through my head while I run. Uh, I, I take another unusual habit is if, I, if we're in a meeting right now and the me- you set the meeting, I take a lot of notes You got to document everything because you're just, you you think you'll remember stuff, but you don't. In that same category, I use my notepad on my phone often. I write down the the craziest of things, life hacks. You know, I'll write that down a lot, (laughs) you know, just anything, a thought, an an event. I, I write more things down than I ever have in my life because I need to be, and it's one thing to write them. It's another, another way to be able to find them. And so Mm -hmm. when you need them, another unusual habit for me personally is to really try to spend time with people, rotating time with people that may not be in your tribe or in your tree to really step outside of people that you find yourself more comfortable around has been good for me. So people that you go, wow, I, I never thought you would like be hanging out with that kind of person. And it's not a negative characteristic in regards to who they are personality wise. I'm just intrigued by different people. I I would call myself a cultural anthropologist. I love like today, this guy wanted to meet with me and learn more about me for an hour. I just talked I just asked him questions that just kept him talking the whole time (laughs) because I just wanted to learn from him. So, so that's probably an unusual habit. I think I ask more questions and conversations to try to get people to talk. So I I could probably keep going and I probably didn't answer that question the right way. But those are just a few things.
2: No, perfect. You might've answered this, but what is your favorite app on your phone right now?
1: Man, I, when I saw that question, that question, I was like, well, my ESV study Bible app is is huge, <laughs> but that's my spiritual answer. Yeah. My, my fighter <laughs> my, my, my verse app for scripture memory. I mean, that's, that's a go-to for me. I'm trying to always just memorize scripture. That That's my spiritual answer. It really goes into those two things on the spiritual side. The, the new side for me would be ESPN app, of course, and then Fox News app for me, and then Instagram and Twitter are, are two things. Um, so, yeah, that, those six apps, I probably, when I look at just the, what, what's that feature on our phone that tells us how much time street, we're using? <laughs> yeah, Yes, yeah, so I'm like, oh gosh, Yeah, that's Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's painful. painful. I yeah. think I'm out of balance. So it's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, we will reveal our numbers on, on, on this show. Yeah,
2: Let's move on now. <laughs> hey, side side question. I've always wondered, and this is a perfect time to ask on Instagram. You have, you have uh, quite a few followers. Like it's at like 27, 28,000, which is great. Not trying to puff you up, but it's great. But you only follow 12 accounts. Why do you do that? <laughs> 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 I'm just so oh, curious. Like, why why does he
1: only follow me? I to ask that. <laughs> I know six of which are uh, more than that probably six of which or seven of which are all our church accounts. So it's monitoring <laughs> Yeah, what our, yeah I, they really are. I I I pay attention to all the because one I, I'm not the gatekeeper of it all but I want to make sure that messaging is sure. right on sure. the most influential platforms of of what we do. Um I follow my my wife and my kids, man, that's that's really it. Um I've been asked this question a lot of times. Like I unfollowed my nieces because I got sick of <laughs> selfies. I literally warned my nieces and I did. Sit. So I followed family. I mean, and I just, I, I told my nieces, my nieces still, we laugh about this today. And I still haven't followed them back. And, uh, and they were <laughs> we like, just laugh, Uncle, no Uncle Ed, why, why? Yeah, they were like, why did you not unfollow me? I was like, I warned you. I told you if you <laughs> took another selfie of yourself in a mirror, I'm done. Like I'm done. And then she stopped doing it. And I just, yeah, and I did, I didn't follow her back. And so it's kind of (laughs) a running joke right now. But, um, for me, uh, at a lot of levels, the, the, if we're not careful for me, I know that I'll just end up spending way too much time on Instagram way too much time. Twitter's a different, uh, there's a lot to be gleaned, like leadership stuff. You could just bookmark. There's some utilitarian aspects to Twitter for me. Instagram is, it's -hmm. one of those interesting places that uh, I don't know what to fully do with Instagram because I feel like we're we're trying to follow someone else's life without really living our own. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, Gosh, if I'm not careful, I could find myself just looking at everybody's life, spending so many hours. So I, I, don't, I just started doing that. I don't even know why, but it's like I, I don't want to scroll through a bunch of stuff. And I'm not saying that your pictures, Josh, are not important. All right. That's not what I'm saying. It's no, just like, not, it's fine. <laughs> no, but, I just but here's, the, it, yes. <laughs> here's what I'll say to somehow try to redeem myself as not coming across as the greatest loser in all of human history on in Instagram. If I wanted to know what's going on with you, I search you. I'll, I'll, I'll go, Hey, I wonder what's going on with these guys right now. And I'll search on Instagram and I'll look through your stuff. That's good. If that makes sense.
2: Concerned Now I need to, that's yeah, not, you just so yeah, I could
1: be stalking you guys. I so I'm stalking you on Instagram. You just don't even know it.
0: I believe it. I believe oh, it. Oh man. Well, hey, let's move to the next well, question so here.
1: That got, that got awkward. I, I forget. Can, you, it was, guys it was, that? Oh, Can you guys erase that? Can you guys erase that from the podcast?
2: <laughs> uh, there, there are no promises. <laughs> there are no promises. Oh gosh.
0: Well, Ed, what has been the best book you've read in the past six months?
1: Yeah, 100x Leader. By Cockrum, okay, man, yep. I I would recommend Steve Cockrum right now. Hundred X leader. That's a that's a great great resource. Great resource. That is break down like the sixty
0: second summary of the book.
1: Yep. Um, it's the idea. Man, I'm talking about game changer. That the idea of being a leader is more of someone, I just drew a blank on what they're called, uh, um, Sharpa. Is that right? Where they leading people into the, to ascend and summit Mount Everest? Is that what I it's called? I know what you're talking about. I don't know if that's what it's called. I, I'm just drawing a blank. I just completely had a mind lapse yes, yes. on this. Yes,
0: I'm looking it up right now. Sherpa,
1: that is correct. Sherpa, that's what it is. So his perspective in leadership is that we're all called to be Sherpas that we've, we've gone, it's what you mentioned earlier, Josh, in regards to the John Maxwell quote, but it's enabling people to summit, whatever that level of leadership is, and to be that kind of person. And the hundred X leader is how to do that and how to multiply yourself that way. And that was a game changer. So the, the resources, for example, that idea of what is it like to sit across the table from you? I got from that hundred X leader. And, and it, so leadership begins with self awareness. You can't lead. You cannot lead someone else. If you can't lead yourself, that yep. tagline is from him. And he really spends that whole resource walking through that.
2: Yep. That's so good, man. Starving Baker concept. Yep. There's a Baker yep. that started death because he was feeding everybody else, but yep. not himself. It's yep. uh, yeah, exactly. It. It's great.
0: Looking up the book, I love the tagline of it. It says how to become someone worth following. And it's yep. the same thing.
1: Well, um, and, and, man, and you, that's that line right there. And then we kind of, use this phrase in in order to reproduce your life in someone else, you got to have a life. Mm. And that's a strong statement. So, and and that's what he said in that resource. Do you live a life worth imitating? And that's a hard question because a lot of times I'm around other leaders. And I, I don't know if you guys ever feel this way. Sometimes you get around great leaders and you're like, man, this is a great leader, but the way this guy lives his life or she lives his or her life, is exhausting, I don't want their life. Mm -hmm. So could my life be not only inspirational and influential, but could my life be contagious to the point where somebody goes, his rest work rhythm is incredibly inspiring to me that I would love to emulate? That's a bigger question. There's a lot of leadership principles that we can pass on, but what are the leadership principles that people want to emulate in our life? You yep. we raise our kids, the way we treat our wives, the way we cultivate relationship with our teams. Are we living a life worth imitating? And that book is probably the most succinct place where I've discovered that.
2: That's, that's really good. I, it makes me think of one leader that pops in my head. I don't know if you've ever spent time with him or not, Ed. I have it just from afar, Bob Goff. Oh, I think yeah. people look at his life and they love him as a leader because he gets it. But also he just, he lives a life, man, He yep. to the fullest
1: and people are really drawn to him. It's incredible that that's a that's a I, I had the privilege of hosting him. I was just like a driver for him, and at a conference, and he I, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but he put his cell phone number in the back of that book. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And I I swear the phone must have rang. It felt like a hundred times, and and he's just like, "Hey, it's Bob." <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> oh my! God. I'm like, well, who does this? <laughs> I've got. Yep, I've got.
2: Man, absolutely. Well, cool. Last question, Ed. Um, What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time?
1: Man, there's so many things, and when I read that question in regards to one sentence, and feel free to
2: expound. Obviously,
1: yeah. If I were to put it into one sentence. The organization is only as healthy as you are.
2: The organization is only as healthy as you are. I'll add. Yep. I'll add another one, Ed. I don't know if you remember this or not, but 2014, I was uh, a program director at Student Life, and we did a. We I think we had two camps back to back with you. Mm-hmm. One was in Windermere, um, in Missouri. And the other one was in Estes Park, Colorado. And I had made some mistakes in leadership that first camp. It was my first leadership position to really be in made some mistakes, you saw those, went to the next camp. And I remember I came to you and I saw, apologized for some things. And I, remember, first of all, you showed a lot of grace, but you said, being teachable is a trophy of being captured by God's grace. Mm,
1: come on. And I'll,
2: I'll, I'll always remember that quote. It was a uh, very impactful in my life. And I, I basically steal it from you like every day now. So mm. I hope that's okay. <laughs> It hope sounds that's okay. way
1: too good to ever come from me. I promise you. Like when you said that to me, the first, like when we were together just a few weeks ago in Orange Beach, I was like, I don't think I said that. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> that's too good that's way too good Well, it it, from hey you might have got it from somewhere else but we'll just give it to you today so hey, thank you so much man this has been fun fellas thank you so much for the opportunity yeah thanks for joining us
0: on the podcast and sharing about your leadership journey and thank you for listening today we hope that this has been helpful and if it has you can head on over to itunes and leave us a rating or review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. See you.